0: Hey ladies and gentlemen, good evening, good evening. I'm Travis, this is Oscar Mike, radio number 172, and today is November 21st, so almost Thanksgiving. And um, I'm proud to be joined by an Oscar Mike alumni uh, guest JJ Bennett, before I do and get him fully on board my favorite Navy guy, I want to give a big shout to my sponsors, Joyce ASAC of ASAC Real Estate. If you're on the South Shore and need a house, go see Joyce. Reaper detailing and power washing. Don't get it clean, get Reaperfied. And you'll know some of the new logos and stuff I'm using. That's all courtesy of Mike Damon, head of Vet Unite, and has his own design company, Last Call Designs. Mike, thank you very much. JJ, welcome back, my man.
1: Thank thank you for having me on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I have always, you you know, we're brothers, and, you know, brothers don't agree on everything, but the things we do agree on is what unites us. And I'm reading the Boston Herald, and their story came up. And what the story said is there were two nurses working for the Bedford VA who, one of them was playing video games while a veteran was in distress and he passed. And the second one uh, was diluting morphine medication. And and I was just, and I want to be very clear before I get you to weigh in, if I may, I want to be very clear to anybody watching or listening to this. If you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, this is not, a VA bashing session at all. The, the the main crux for me, JJ, is why was the apparent punitive action so light? I have respect you, for VA healthcare. I have no problem with VA healthcare. So I, I want to make that clear. We are not bashing the VA. So I, did I sum that up right, JJ? Just just making sure. And how-
1: I, I, I believe you did. There's some insight because I used to work for So High Level at the VA system. First of all, Bedford is not Boston, period. They're a completely different area. They're completely covered, governed by a completely different set of providers, clinicians, everything. So when veterans in the Boston area are talking about Bedford, it's not a part of Boston. It's actually just in one. So Boston is just the three major Hospitals, Brockton, Jamaica Plains, and West Roxbury, and then the five box, the community-based outreach clinics. Bedford is its own entity in a different vision.
0: So, so, JJ, I mean, you were talking about Bedford not being part of Boston. Why, why is that important?
1: Uh, because regions are controlled by different entities. So, Boston would be your local level. Well, if you're not in Boston close enough to hospital, your local connection to Boston is the community-based outreach clinic. And then there's the Boston VA healthcare system. Then the Boston VA healthcare system is within side of the VISN level, which is the different dr- districts districts throughout America. And then there's VA central office, which is titled VACO. So they're the big wigs, serious policy shifts, and they're the ones that deal with Congress, lobby, and do all that. Then it goes down to the visions, and then it goes to the major centers. And then the reason why I wanted to stipulate the differences is because the Bedford um, system is not as accomplished as the Boston. We've been number two in the nation for years with a giant bullseye on our back because we as veterans are blessed that all of our providers come from John Hopkins, Brigham and Women's, and Harvard.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I start, I mean, the reason that I, I got pushed over the edge is a VA nurse sat me cool. down and said, look, you're not getting military medicine. She's like, I'm not, I'm not you know, disrespecting military medicine, but you're getting the world's best. Yeah. I have access to resources. And I was going to ask about this. She's telling me she has access to resources you will not get as a veteran in a civilian hospital.
1: Absolutely not. Anything to do with podiatry, you pretty much will never get really private sector. So like for me, I mean, if you had an orthopedic surgery, you'll get a DonJoy knee brace, but I had to get a new custom one made. It was top of the shelf um, because I have to wear it on a daily basis underneath professional dress clothes. It's flexible titanium. So oh, wow. just wrap your head around that. It's brand new, been out for a couple of months by DonJoy. joy that custom mold, my entire leg, cut the cast off, send it out, get this thing back. It's thousands of dollars. And then I also have drop foot, So I have a spring adhisted Ricky brace along with custom shoes. You're not going to get that in the private sector. So the prosthetists that did all of my gear left the private sector because there's just no business because insurance companies won't pay for bracing and they won't pay for prosthetics or for shoes. So the other thing also is if you see a, a person that has an amputation, a lower leg, and you see them in one of those cool military ones, you know they're a veteran. If you see them in an old dead leg straight style, you know, the private sector.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Would you say that, that we are just blessed here in Boston or are there other VA systems in the nation that, you know, strive for a high level of care?
1: Um, anywhere up in Vermont, I did seven years up there. So anything that is outside of their specialties there, your parent facility is Boston and they either drive you down or ambulance you down. So like Vermont, um, southern New Hampshire, there's a little bit of a pocket where there's just not coverage, but you would have to drive to Boston. So unfortunately for southern, mid mid New Hampshire to southern New Hampshire, there's not good coverage. And then generally speaking, if you go south or you go to any location where retirement people want to live, that's where I tell veterans that's where you're going to go and die. (laughs) But the larger the population, the larger the demand, the longer the waits, the less money. The less opportunities, so yeah, you got that 4,000 square foot ranch for a hundred thousand dollars that's going to get blown away in the next hurricane. Great, but you also sacrificed all your health care because you couldn't put up with a little snow.
0: <laughs> that, that's that's tough to take. That's tough to take.
1: It's the truth.
0: Well, you know, you, you, you're very good at dropping truth bombs there, JJ. It's just, uh, just saying, look, uh, I, love it. I love it. I love it.
1: The Arizona scandal, yeah. That didn't happen in Boston. It didn't happen in the Midwest. It happened in a ginormous veteran population that's extremely socioeconomically oppressed because they're probably living off their disability. That's why so many veterans go to Georgia and Florida. But then when you overload the system, the problem is that. So here in Boston, we've been losing 2.5% of all veterans every year. They're going south. Well, how the budgets work in the federal system is you don't get compensated for two years after you provide the service. Like again, it's Vera dollars. It's a whole other different system. So it's like, as all these vets keep going down there, they're overloading a system in the South. They're trying to keep up, and then the people up here, like you and I, we can get ACL surgeries in less than three weeks. I dare you to try to get that done out of town.
0: So I'm reading about nursing as a whole because it's easy to see the headline and say VA nursing did this, and and the VA nurses, you know, are terrible. But then I started looking around and not for nothing, you know, there's civilian counterparts, which I got to tell you, JJ, very few civilian nurses want to get on the record and tell me about their colleagues behaving badly. But I read study after study, and I'll have a couple of links in the Oscar Mike radio blog post where, uh, this study. I it up here in just a second, John Hopkins medicine uh, they did a study in 2016, so and that's that's normal. Uh, it takes time to collate all the data and, and make it actionable. But in 2016, this was released in May 3rd. They suggest that medical malpractice in the civilian sector is the third leading cause of death in the United States. And I mean, I couldn't believe it until I started going through that. So wh- what I'm trying to say is, just because you go to a civilian hospital does not mean that there's not going to be problems there.
1: I, I would have to back you up on that because um, when I was in high school, minimum wage is five twenty-five dollars an hour. So I could go bag groceries for five twenty-five dollars an hour, or I could be a certified nurse's aide for $13.50 an hour. So I started <laughs> off at 16 years old in a nursing home oh, in wow. the private sector. Then I joined the military, went to college, and now I'm back in medicine. And I'll tell you right now, the differences between private sector nursing homes and VA sector nursing homes is a huge difference. And there is always bad humans in any organization. I mean, you, I know in your military career, ran across a couple of uh, active duty personnel that you're like, I can't believe they're even still in the military. They're just this deplorable of a human, but it does not represent that branch. Right. And that's the same thing, like I try to say to veterans, if you see bad story like this, as a healthcare provider, I eliminate VA nurses, and I just say, nurse, blah, 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 because it's not the organization sponsoring this activity. It was a, in my opinion, dysfunctional nurse that was doing something malicious and failing to do her duty. It's not the VA, it's just a nurse.
0: So, so. You know, let's talk about the nurse individually now, because again, uh, I don't think this is a systemic VA problem, but right, what do you think? I mean, you work in healthcare, you, you've been in healthcare, you, you've been a recipient of healthcare. What goes, what's going on when a nurse says, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and, and play on my phone or, you know, no one's going to miss the fact that I've, you know, altered this morphine dose. What, what's going through their minds, do you think?
1: Traditionally, that's going to be late on second shift and always on third shift, both private sector or VA. Yeah. So like, if you want good coverage, you try to only be in the hospital during the day when the charge nurses and physicians are there. But the other thing is, is, I have noticed, and this is just my personal opinion, zero statistics, but the VA heavily relies on LPNs and LVNs for second and third shift, where it's not done so much in the private sector.
0: So uh, LPNs a li- license um...
1: vocational nurse so they just haven't finished the bachelor's in, and actually went for the RN so for the lack of better terms they're nurse light. they're okay. almost there like seriously one six months to one more year of schooling and they could finish their bachelor's and have an RN degree and then their pay doubles or triples. Gotcha. So what you'll find out is a lot of these people are also in nursing school like any grown adult and they're like, yeah I got kids or I got issues I need to pay my bills. So once they pass the LVN, which is like their two year mark, then they can start to actually work. So you would have lower paid nurses um, or LVNs. LPN does not stand for low paid nurses. That's just an inside hospital joke. <laughs> right. But um, it's, I don't know if they were bachelors of nursing or LPN because that was, rem- it wasn't really in that article. Right. But what I have found like at the VA system is is later at night you'll have maybe only one or two registered nurses and the rest being um, LVNs or like in the private sector, it might only be one or two RNs, but then they might only have a couple of aides and not the LVNs. So it's, you know, potato, potato, depends upon the situation.
0: Well, one of these nurses was in her fifties. I mean, she was older than us by a lot and, and, and you know, she was the one that uh, was, was playing video games on her phone while the veteran was in distress. And you know, I, I come from a family of nursing, and I know that nurses take their, their, their I wouldn't say role, for them it's a calling very seriously. So th- this leads me to my next thing. I, I just could not for the life of me understand how you can sit there and, and dilute morphine, which I thought was a felony. I, I don't know if I'm it right or wrong. Fel-
1: it is a felony. Okay. It did violate the prescription the physician ordered because nurses do not have the liberty to pre- change prescriptions. They have a liberty to do what they're told by the physician. And if they question it because they believe it's a violation or they catch an error, then they mention and bring it up. But to dilute a prescribed medication by a physician is straight up malfeasance.
0: Okay. And then the second one was, you know, you have a, a gentleman dying and she's on her phone and they, 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 in my mind, and I haven't gotten anybody else to weigh in on this, they go off with a slap on the wrist, uh, 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 basically house arrest and probation. They're, they're, they're no jail time served, and they get to keep their licenses. And that's where, that's where I'm really kind of upset right now. I don't, I don't, and I'm not blaming the VA, but I don't understand why the judge came that decision or what could have affected that.
1: I I know that there's a lot of factors that would play into it. First of all, with any death, especially if it's suspicious, there's going to be an RCA or root cause analysis. That's what us quality quality improvement consultant weenies do, and that's what I do. Um, It's you know in tandem with patient safety. It's in tandem with the upper echelon of the hospital. Now, with that said, there is a very retaliatory um, environment inside the VA. And then there's also a very protective environment inside the VA and you know which one you hope you're on as an employee. So I do not believe that this is the first time this nurse has ever been written up for playing video games or violating her duties at night. I believe this is a systemic cultural issue because of the laws passed in 1952 where employees can't be fired. And I believe this is a systemic issue with the nursing unions at the VA. So, explain
0: the, the law from 1952. What does so
1: that in, So, in the early 50s, a lot of laws had to come about because we had all of these, you know, World War II patriots coming home. And then they turned around and they started to pass, you know, the GI Bill. They started to bring around the VAs. They started to see that there was a need for medical care. And like any government agency, they decided to regulate the hell out of it to try to protect the funds. But in the meantime, policies that you passed in 1952 don't apply today. In other words, we do not get a minimum wage job, two years later buy a house, four years later buy a brand new car, then turn around and have kids on minimum wage. It's not 1954 anymore. This just does not happen. But the laws and the amount of time that people can work per day and the restrictiveness of those laws go against modern day society demands. And one case in point for that is, is can you get an appointment past four o'clock? No. <laughs> because the physicians are not allowed to work more than an eight hour day.
0: Which would be a good thing, right? You don't want to... No,
1: hard- no, there's not a physician out there who would like that. They'd rather work four tens. What? My primary care physician and every one of the guys that he teaches, they would all prefer a four, 10 hour day.
0: And work three day, have a three-day weekend.
1: Have a three-day weekend so they can actually – because they need one day to decompress, one day to take care of personal stuff, and one day for family. Gotcha. So all the physicians would love that rather than a five-day work week. But the only way to change that is veterans. You know those surveys they send you after your appointments that you never fill out? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know those? Yeah, yeah, I know, Yeah. So there's always questions in there. was like, so the availability of your appointment, how did it affect your day?
0: You mean people actually read those surveys?
1: I fill out every damn one of them immediately because the only way we bring about change, policy, or new programs is we have to statistically be able to prove it's needed. This is a federal government agency. This isn't Microsoft where we come up with an idea. We crowdsource and fund it from our offshore bank accounts, and everything's good to go.
0: So what you're saying is uh, us veterans have a, you know, need to put some more skin in this game.
1: Yeah, we need to start saying that I as a veteran take my job seriously because as an active duty person when I went through boot camp, we were ingrained with we do our job. We do the job to the best of our ability and we take satisfaction that we did the best that we possibly could with our job. Well, if we're constantly leaving our job in order to go to medical appointments that is only scheduled for 4 uh, for 1 hour, but it takes 4 hours of your day you know time to travel there the time for your appointment time to wait for the pharmacy time to check out it's four hours so you're not willing to use the va but we need veterans to start saying i need appointments that are later i need to break this monotonous locked in federal policy that doesn't conform and then once you start breaking down smaller federal barriers the other ones start to crumble I know it's a whole other
0: topic. <laughs> well, well, no, I hate, I hate going to the doctor. I hate hospitals. And, and, and so I'm trying to get excited about this. Uh, like I said, a couple of my friends, including yourself, have been on me for a while about this. So I'm, I'm doing this. But, you know, one of the things that really changed my mind about VA care was I got to actually talk to about like 10 VA nurses about their experiences. And she had some other colleagues, peers from Mass General, and the mass general nurses are like, "I can't do this, this and this for you." And, and like you said, MRIs, um, yeah. you know other kinds of care that I can't provide, well, I can. And mm-hmm. the pride that these nurses had in their role as providing health care to veterans was clearly evident. so
1: they don't do it for the money because they're not getting paid they're about right right three to 27 percent below market value.
0: So they have to want to be there.
1: They have to want to be there. And the majority of them, you're going to find out, were in medicine. They're your corpsmen. They're your people that were taking care of you on active duty. That might have been a phlebotomist in the Army for four years, but decided to go actually get their degree. And then they come back and they work for the VA. So a lot of the nurses are actually veterans themselves, but they can take the pay cut because they got the military benefits already behind them because they've already got set amount of years that they bought into their retirement. So on a win-win financial, in the long run, the federal service is better because gotcha. they could retire earlier with a bigger paycheck. Gotcha. So there's a lot, there's, it's complicated about the pay with nursing.
0: So, so as we wind this down, what I'm, what I'm hearing is, is one, you know, me, the patient, the veteran have to be engaged in the process to raise a flag if there's a problem. You know, you have to if, always if,
1: advocate for yourself. I have fired doctors in front of all the interns. I know the rules. I know the laws. I know everything about it. And trust me, like my parents sometimes put their hands in their face and they're just like, I can't believe you came out of me. You <laughs> just treated this family and this doctor and this nurse as a patient when I'm in the hospital bed. But I'm like, like I have a master's in healthcare administration. Don't try to use any of your techniques on me. And I've actually fired two surgeons. Well, the other thing is, is I then come to Boston and I get probably the, the best primary care physician in my life who worked with me. And the first day I came in, I was on serious amounts of opiates, not going to lie. Been on them for 15 years. And this is the first VA where I walked in and he said, when I sat down, shook my, shook my hand, he goes, I'm doctor blank, blank, blank. And he goes, I'm not changing your meds, so shut the fuck up. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. And because of their mindset here in Boston, that's how within a year and a half, I came off 16 medications that were daily with 10 plus or minus as needed. So it's like we have very advanced primary care physicians here. We have very advanced surgical care here. We have very advanced nursing care here. But ultimately, we cannot control that one or two people who are just not meant to be in that profession.
0: So I I think, um, what I'm hearing though, is if veterans get together and there's a bad experience, don't just throw away the survey form.
1: Don't. Yeah, please do not. Fill the survey
0: form out. Yes. Um, you don't know anything about medicine, get a nurse or get somebody to look at it for you. Tell your VSO maybe, I don't know. I mean, it can't hurt.
1: My advice that I would tell any veteran, um, you can ask any of my personal friends, but the patient advocate is your friend, but you have to come into this with the mindset of if you are wrong they 're going to educate you as to why. Okay. And you know with a lot of veterans that 's not going to go over well. no, this is the way I want it. this is why, well, no, because federal law states this, and we really don 't care your opinion on this <laughs> like. They try to educate you, but then find that they're just going to be like, leave my office. But I'll tell you right now, if you treat them with as much respect as they treat you, they are hired by the hospital, but they don't really care about the hospital. They care about the patient and making sure that you're getting what you need within the right time frame. So you could go through your VSOs if that's who you're comfortable with. But I have found that when you go down and knock on that door of that patient advocate right after that medical appointment, shit happens quickly.
0: nice nice.
1: documented it's recorded and they have to follow up
0: so the power is really in our hands and if if you if you have you know concerns about that there are people out there to help you it's it's good care and you know we just gotta be diligent so before we end this um i want to give you a a couple minutes or 10 to talk about your event tomorrow night if you want to tell people about uh the let's buddy up
1: um, I I'm not a pro, I'm not the promoter of it. Rocco is. Um, I've been going I think since the second one or maybe even the first one. Okay. Um, when it was over at the VFW, and now we're down in um down at the um I can't remember the uh, the uh, I would have to look that one up, but um I just know it's in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's basically a simple gathering where we get together. It's a low pressure. There's not like singing of hands and holding kumbaya and you're not telling your life story. What it is, is free food and great conversation with maybe about five minutes or 10 minutes where people go around the room and say, hey, these are the events that are happening this month.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Here's what we're doing. You guys pick what you want. Come and go as you need. Um, The food sponsored or else is provided. Like I've provided a meal once when we didn't have sponsorship. So it's like, it's sort of um, creating a sense of community and camaraderie with fellow veterans, both men and women. And we're sort of like, in in my own personal life, most of those guys that I initially met are now sort of my inner circle of friends. So it's like my monthly check-in with them. Yes, You're able to discuss things and then, you know, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to get together and have free food and just great conversation for veterans. I mean, it's free food and great conversations.
0: <laughs> well, well, one thing I, I'm saying, and I, and folks, uh, JJ was on for number 76. So it's been a little while, but in my time, um, I, I'm starting to tell veterans and, and people, you know, when you tell me that there's nothing to do, there's nowhere to go. I, I'm saying that's simply not true anymore. Maybe that was true 10 years ago. It was true right. when I got out, but if you put a little effort, not a lot, just a wee bit of effort, you can be somewhere every night of the week in this area of the country. You're blessed.
1: Um, I will I will reach out to the outreach coordinator in Jamaica Plains, Dave Henke. Um, he produces a monthly newsletter that has almost every veteran social gathering in a report. Like There's special coffee hours on Thursday oh, for yeah, professionals yeah. and like I'll ask him to start forwarding that to you because if you simply just post that on every one of these um, podcasts that you do, people easily have a link to be able to be like, okay, it's this date. Is there something going on? It might not be in your neighborhood and yes, driving 10 miles does not mean you're going to Canada <laughs> but you can get there. You can hang out. You can have good communication, good fun, good camaraderie and sometimes those random mysteries of just going out and doing something crazy ultimately ends up being one of the best decisions you made or a best friend that you're going to make that you never knew you needed to make.
0: Absolutely, my man. So I'm going to try to get uh, – got to actually like meet in person here in the next month or so. It's been too long. But um, I'll be know, in rent
1: is- them tomorrow night for Lutz. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's just hard to do with work right now. I'm working oh, yeah, in so
1: far south. Yeah, I was going to say I leave work at – three and I get there like uh, yeah
0: <laughs> I know we'll make it work though we'll make something work between me and me yeah. um, but I just want I, I just want to thank you for coming back on because I was trying to avoid that paradigm of bash nurse bash nurse bash nurse right. and, and you articulate a lot of things I was trying to very very well so I want to say thanks and you know appreciate uh, you know whenever I, I talk with JJ ladies and gentlemen I always have to think and that's not, not about bad. Excuse me. Wow, that's not a bad thing. So
1: I have, I have one question for you. Okay. When you did finally go to the VA to get your card or to sign up, how long did it physically take you inside the building?
0: So I have to be completely honest. Um, first of all, I did not go in the building. Uh, the nurses uh, gave me a phone number. I called the phone number and I got, you know, routed to an operator. And literally I timed it 28 minutes later, I was completely signed up one week later. I had a welcome kit from the VA and oh my God, they kept calling me until I made an appointment.
1: <laughs> they won't stop. Yeah,
0: they won't stop. So yeah. it was fantastic. It was easy. There was no excuses. Um, the, the longest part was verifying my military service. Once they had me uh, authenticated, if you will, in my world, the rest of the process took like 15 minutes. So
1: oh, so I- yep, that's the process. So if you actually would have went into Brockton to Building 3 or into Jamaica Plains right there on the ground floor, walk straight in, or West Roxbury right on the main entrance floor, if you have your DD-214 and you walk in, I did it in 2016 when I transferred here, and it was 15 minutes out the door. Plus, they assigned us because they have to have you within a medical appointment in under 30 days or else they're in violation of their own policy. If you wait more than two to three weeks, you need to start having issues people. Start calling, start, hey, I want to do this. But the other thing I will tell people is, is when they sign up, either the phone method like you did or if you physically go in, get signed up for the My Healthy Vet and get a premium account as quick as possible. Because if you send an email message to your providers, if they don't respond within 48 hours, they start getting serious punishments.
0: No, no. Um, I got an appointment scheduled. I think for uh, later December after Christmas, right. and they're gonna go through and do all that. And it's just in, you know, what's convenient for you. We're gonna get you signed in, you know, and and no problem at all. Very positive experience. Extremely respectful and thankful. A lot more of them were that. So uh, what I'm trying, what JJ's trying to tell you guys, there's no effing excuse. Just get it done. <laughs>
1: there's nothing like it is so easy to do <laughs> and you actually don't even need your dd-214 if you walk in they'll just need it within 90 days that's the policy
0: still but, but it's uh, an even,
1: more, even less excuse
0: <laughs> no nah, there's no excuses anymore yes yeah. well um if i don't talk to you have a, a happy thanksgiving and merry christmas and okay. like i said we will have to meet up for uh, dinner or something sometime here very soon I'm off uh, the last two weeks of the year, I think, so uh, maybe I'll hit you up then.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to take off 10 days, you know, through the Christmas period. So, yeah, message me, and we'll just meet up and finally put face-to-face.
0: All right. Well, folks, this is Oscar Mike Radio. I'm Travis, and I have my good friend and Navy vet, uh, JJ, on the phone, on the line with me. Not on the phone. Uh, we had a very good talk. Thank you very much. And we're we walked walk
1: through lunch. <laughs> All right. Um, okay.